Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra-wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Brendan. Not joined with me is Corey. Corey's having some technical difficulties with his mic. Uh, We're going to fix it. We spent an hour trying to fix it just now. I don't know what's going on, but we'll be fixed next episode. Just uh, bear with us. You're stuck with me. I know. It can be kind of hard. I'm stuck with myself, too. I don't like it sometimes. But this is, uh, this is where we are. So this is what we're going to do this episode. We have two games against the Twins that don't mean anything. They don't mean anything for the Twins either. But we do have uh, a very important series coming up here against the Cardinals. But regardless of that series against St. Louis, what I want to do this episode is kind of catch up on all the different performances in the month of September. This is what Corey and I were going to do this episode, so I'm going to do it. And I want to set the stage for different performances. That way, when we go through the next 10 days, we kind of know what to look for. Uh, Some performances and some numbers jump out that initially I I missed. And we'll, we'll go over some of these different players and their different recent uh, sample sizes and how they're performing, whether from a plate discipline perspective or whether from a power perspective. Let's go over some of the pitchers, some of the relievers. Uh, let's go over Alzolai coming out of the bullpen. That's going to be useful. And that's going to be the layout for today. So we only have, again, another like a week and a half of doing this. Um, and then we get into the offseason. We talk about more pertinent matters for 2022. So not going to review the series here against Twins. Instead, what I'm going to do first is break down what has been going on by the offense in the month of September. So, the obvious candidate for the, the hottest player on the Cubs is Frank Schwindel, and he continues to do well. So, on the month of September, he has a 476 weighted on base average. He's batting 385 guys in September. This is 90 plate appearances. This is absolutely insane. He's only gotten better since he debuted with the Cubs now almost, what is it, like eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. And he's striking out in the month of September at a sub 12% rate. He's walking over 7% of the time. Not the highest walker rate, but that strikeout rate is absolutely insane. We're talking like in the same conversation as like almost like a Nick Madrigal. Not single digits, but you know, scratching at the surface for single digits. Then behind Frank Schwindel on the Woba leaderboard is Ian Happ. Happ has a 463 weighted on base average in the month of September. He's batting 362, and he's only striking out. When I say only, this is relatively speaking, but he's only striking out 23% of the time. But he's only walking 5% of the time. That's the weird thing about Ian Happ's resurgence. 
because for several months in 2021, and even for a good portion of 2020 when he was hot, his discipline and his chase rate and his walk rate were so much, I guess, better. I don't even know if that's the right way to contextualize this, given how he's performed recently. But his walk rate has been in double digits. His chase rate has been in the 85th percentile in terms of being better than the rest of the league. But during this stretch in September, he's kind of going about it differently. He's not really... Uh, exhibiting that level of patience. He's being more aggressive. Andy Green, the bench coach, just talked about this, how Ian Happ is being a lot more aggressive lately. And it's manifesting in more base hits, but fewer walks and more home runs. So this is probably the most interesting trend to monitor, not just in the next 10 days, but we'll see what they do with him in the offseason. And if he ultimately comes back, then during spring training, during April, if he gets a a decent portion of plate appearances. I'm curious if this type of plate discipline, this more aggressive approach is going to be a new thing for Ian Happ. So the question is, why is this happening too? So why, why is Ian Happ all of a sudden, in addition to maybe being more aggressive, hitting the ball all over the field. It's one thing to change your plate discipline like this and get slightly better results. It's another to completely, I mean, turn around your your season. Now, granted, I mean, the overall sum of the season is still a disappointment for Ian Happ. But just to give an update, after the second game against the Twins in this quick two-game set, he's a 102 WRC+. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, if you think about that, on where he was for the majority of the season was like a 280 Woba, like a WRC plus in like the 70s. Now, all of a sudden, he's better than league average, a 100 being league average. He's 102. He's better than league average. That, I mean, that truly is insane. So if we look at the different type of run value against pitch types, the majority of his success has been against fastballs in September. His run value against that pitch has been astronomical. Against breaking pitches and off-speed pitches, he's not doing much damage, which is fine. That's, this is a small sample. It's not to say he can't do damage against those pitches. It's just for the current time, he's doing his damage against fastballs primarily. So then that leads to the next logical uh expectation is pitchers are going to change how they pitch to Ian Happ. Does that happen now in the next 10 days? I don't know. Does it happen in April? Again, if he's still with the Cubs, probably. I mean, all these pitchers and scouts are going to adapt eventually. So so then the question I have is, can we expect this going forward? Or should we expect this going forward in doing so, giving Ian Happ a, a significant role to start 2022. I don't know. Corey and I have talked about this on several episodes, and as the offseason goes along, as we hear more about outfield rumors or trade rumors, or maybe there's going to be a DH, we have the whole CBA fiasco coming up here. Hopefully they they don't go on a strike, but you just never know with all the conflict. We'll see what happens. It's still way too premature to be even thinking about this, but I'm thinking about it. This is kind of what I do, uh, for better or for worse. 
So that's Ian Happ, and that's Frank Schwindel. Those are the two guys who are just absolutely destroying baseball in the month of September. The next guy on this list is Matt Duffy. So Matt Duffy, in 65 plate appearances, has a 365 weighted on base average and a 128 WRC plus in the month of September. And the interesting aspect of Duffy's game, which is why Ross liked him and why Corey and I mentioned him quite often early on in the season, was that he gives or he gave the lineup a different look. Heavy contact guy, puts balls in place frequently, changed up the the dynamic of the lineup way back then when the core was still with us. Uh, So right now on the season, though, Duffy has a 310 weighted on base average. So below league average, a 92 WRC plus. For a bench spot for 2022, given the injuries he sustained this year at Duffy, I don't know if like a 90 WRC plus is truly represented, uh, representative of what he can produce going forward. But he's finishing the year strong. If there's a, a world where it makes sense to bring back Matt Duffy in a way that you can utilize him as a utility guy off the bench, third base, we've seen him play shortstop a little bit, not the best shortstop defender, but he came up through the league as such, can play a little bit of second base, can play some first base. He's a pretty flexible, dynamic utility infielder. Not going to like blow you away defensively out there, but he's not going to embarrass you either. And he's going to give you some at-bats that more than likely will lead to a ball in play. So what that actually translates to contract amounts, years, I don't know. But could be a possibility. It's still worth monitoring here in the next 10 days. Okay. Unfortunately, this one this one sucks. I, I wanted to see more of him. Alfonso Rivas is done for the year. So he hurt his finger, popped out, can't play no more. He's done. So that, that sucks. We'll be back in spring training. And he'll be back, of course, hopefully, on the roster. Um, maybe not hopefully. Actually, I don't know. I really don't know anymore. But he has impressed a lot of people with his play discipline. And when you think about what he can provide at first base, it's quality defense and plate discipline. Rivas is known as perhaps one of the better defenders in the league defensively. Uh, some scouts, some fans, even, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, Cubs prospect guys on Twitter, they rave about Rivas's defense. And we've heard even from coaches that on day one, when he was with the Cubs, it looked as if he was a veteran defender. So that could be a plus for the Cubs in 2022. And what I liked most about Rivas, in addition to his defense, was that in some type of combination, he might be able to be part of... The, the word platoon is going to be misused in the next few years, I feel like. When, and we'll get into that later. But he might be part of some type of combination with Frank Schwindel, where Rivas is going to play against certain right-handed pitchers that suit his uh, strengths better at the dish. Also, depending on who's on the mound, maybe Ross wants a better defender of first base instead of Frank Schwindel, who is not known for his defense. And if there is indeed a DH for 2022 and beyond, then you can see easily how Ross can mix and match Rivas and Schwindel and others in that DH spot. It gives an enormous amount of flexibility. We also saw Rivas in the outfield for a few stints. He's not 
a primary outfielder, but the logic there is likely, well, his discipline is so good. His chase rate is so good. He's walking. Well, not anymore, but he was walking in double digits. And that's what you want for perhaps a pinch hitter or someone who can spell Schwindel or be more than that, more than just spell Schwindel, be part of a a legitimate combination type scenario. Again, I don't want to use the word platoon. And the reason I don't want to use that is because, and we mentioned it last episode, but the Giants and Tampa Bay Rays, they are having this level of success because of not a singular lineup on a day-to-day basis. You think of when the Cubs had success, you kind of knew who was going to play on a daily basis. You had Ben Zobras out there, you had Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Dexter Fowler. You know, those were your staples in the lineup. The Rays and Giants, though, the only player on the Giants who has played more than 100 games at one position is Brandon Crawford. And you look around that team, and unfortunately, I... I watch too many Giants games. I'm on the West Coast. I I, I want to see Chris Bryant. I admit it. And I you can see what they're doing. It's, it is it is really impressive because a lot of these guys are getting used against pitchers that make sense. And they have a very dynamic and flexible lineup. And Ross was asked about, not the Giants per se, but just that concept of maybe in the future you'll have teams start to implement more of a non-traditional use of their roster rather than having a singular lineup or a singular group of starting players. They actually might instead have like a, a more diverse swinging in and out lineup on a day-to-day basis. And that ultimately might be what the Cubs do in the form of Rivas and Schwindel, maybe Madrigal and Nico. We'll see what happens in the outfield maybe Ian App and, and, and someone else. And that's what's going to be interesting to target during the offseason. And I think it sets up the the conversation here, at least in October and November, before the rumors start kicking off, is, you know, what do we do with some of these performances, especially with Schwindel and, and Rivas? And we'll get into this episode as well, but, you know, Rafael Ortega and Patrick Wisdom, what do we do with these guys? Because it, it looks as if they have value, right? And it looks as if maybe they shouldn't just be sitting in AAA. And I'm sure other teams would love to give these guys opportunities, even if it's like in a bench spot or utility spot. But at the same time, the Cubs need to make splashes. They need to have more projectable talent in that lineup. So simply going into next year with making marginal improvements on the offense and going into the year with assuming that in the middle of the order, it's going to be Schwindel and Wisdom and Ian Happ and Contreras. That's a dangerous assumption because even even computer projection models, they can't model that with a high degree of confidence. So what's going to happen is you may get a high ceiling, but you also may get some scenarios and some outcomes where it's so so bad and so volatile that you end up leading into another non-competitive year. So that's going to be the delicate balance. And speaking about wisdom, let's just go into it since we we mentioned his name here. So wisdom is still going through a little bit of a funk. And there's a lot of reasons why this could be happening. Um, you know, all we have 
all Corey and I have are the the marquee channel to watch these guys. And then we have StatCast data to go in and see it. And we can get some of the raw data as well. But for Patrick Wisdom, it just seems to be that this is his profile. This is kind of who he is. He's going to hit a ton of home runs if he's willing to accept the whiffs. And in his stint with the Cubs, he's been willing to accept the whiffs. He's striking out at a 40% clip. His contact rate is almost 60%. Those are among the worst in the league. And, you know, some guys can survive like that, right? Even you look at Javi Baez, despite the volatility, despite some of the poor performances, even when he was with the Cubs, somehow, some way, with all the strikeouts, he put up almost league average uh, offense because he was hitting the hell out of the ball and peppering the ivy, hitting home runs. And that is what wisdom does, and, and there's an argument to be had that he does that better than Javi, that he hits the ball harder and further than Javi, even with all the whips. So, with wisdom, I like how he can hit all pitch types. His pitch value across all different types is pretty pretty normal, pretty impressive that he's not getting destroyed by one singular pitch, but... He is getting kind of hurt by singular location, and the high fastball has really hurt Wisdom this year, and it's hurting him even recently. So if we look at his weighted on base average against fastballs on the upper third of the zone, it's almost 50, 0, 5, 0, 50, whereas for Schwindel, it's almost 360. So that's really a good illustration of why Schwindel might actually be projectable with a higher degree of confidence than, than, than maybe Patrick Wisdom. Now, with Wisdom's defense and his power potential, it is possible that because of those traits, he can produce more value than Schwindel. But if you're going based on just projectability alone, and the, the narrative has changed a lot since Schwindel has performed so well. But the greatest predictive trait in the league is contact rate. That's the one number that doesn't fluctuate that much. That's the one number that you can pinpoint success back to. And on a year-to-year basis, you can expect there's not going to be drastic deviations. So for Frank Schwindel, because his offense is being driven in large part due to a, a high ability to make contact, that's going to play well, and that's going to project him well with a higher degree of confidence than Patrick Wisdom. Now, with Wisdom, we can see how he performs the rest of the way in the next 10 games or so. Wherever I don't even know if it's 10 games. Maybe I'm even mis- misspeaking. I don't even care anymore. But in the next week and a half, look for those high fastballs, man, because that's, that's what's going on. They're hammering Wisdom with high fastballs, and he's not able to hit those. And it's similar to the... Strategy against Bodie years ago, and Bodie's struggling for a wide variety of different reasons now, but that was how pitchers adjusted to Bodie. They stopped throwing low pitches, they started throwing higher fastballs, and Bodie could not adjust at a time-efficient pace. Wisdom might be different, and he has more power than Bodie, has better discipline than Bodie, has way better defense than Bodie. And so as a result, going into 2022 in this offseason, there's going to be discussions that Wisdom should be in this lineup. It should be given the job or at least uh, considered to be a major contributor at third base to open 2022. 
especially when you consider that his high baseline value is going to be in part because of his high defensive value. His arm is fantastic. He has good first step, good agility, good instinct. He's he's rating as a plus defender right now. By all metrics, by Alice above average, by DRS, by UZR, he's rating above average by all those metrics at this point. So if they end up going into the offseason and thinking, all right, well, we we accept that this may not end up being Wisdom's job by July and August. You may have to go out and make a trade. But we like the ceiling and we made other splashes in the form of free agency. Then maybe it makes sense to go into opening day with Wisdom as your primary guy at third base. And I can see that being logical. I can see that being rational. Uh, who knows, though? <laughs> they still need to go out and make splashes regardless if Wisdom is going to be given that type of role. So Wisdom in the month of September, just to uh, come full circle here, has a 167 batting average, a 267 weighted on base average. N- not not good, not good. But you know who's worse in the month is is David Bodie. David David Bodie's having an, an atrocious September. I don't know what they're going to do with him, guys. Um, batting 97, 097. His weighted on base average is 149, and his WRC plus is minus 13. Uh, when you see WRC pluses in the minuses, my brain cannot interpret it. It's it's uh, you're among the worst in the league. But he's had injuries this year. He's ah, man, I I, I kind of feel for him. He's had crazy injuries, and he did in the early going look as if he were adjusting to high fastballs. Uh, there were some instances and some hits that were against 98-plus mile-per-hour fastballs up in his own, and I noted earlier in the year, he's never done that in his career. He's hitting, like, doubles in the gaps off those pitches. I thought that was encouraging. I mean, this league is too smart, though. Now they're just destroying Bodie on sliders, like, down away. And his run value against those pitches are, like, negative 10. It's, like, among the worst in the league. He's getting absolutely destroyed by low and outside sliders. And that's that's the adjustment that's been made. Of course, all this is going to be, like, sequenced properly. It's not to say, oh, all of a sudden he cannot hit sliders. Everything's being sequenced, and there's a legitimate intention by these pitchers and scouts to get these guys out. So Bodie's going to have to adjust again. Now, can you do that with the Cubs? Will the Cubs give him the opportunity? I don't know. We'll see. And at this point, 10 games is probably not enough of a sample or so to make those uh, make those conclusions. Okay, so that's Bodie. That's Wisdom. Talked about Schwindel, Hap, Duffy, Rivas. Wilson Contreras on the month of September has a 360 weighted on base average, walking in double digits. That's been a new thing for Wilson this year. His play discipline has been better. He's been 244. His strikeout rate, though, is 34%. So I don't even know how to interpret Wilson this year. I'll be honest with you, because he's had so many different injuries. And, you know, he had no backup earlier on in the first few months of the season. Absolutely no backup whatsoever. And while that's not his fault, you do have to consider the effect of his fatigue, the effect of that leading to injuries, and then the consequences of those injuries coming back from those injuries. Now, do you want to peg that against his 2022 projections? You have to consider it. It's got to be part of the, it has to be part of the equation. Unfortunately, if you want to try to 
have accurate projections. That's what the computer is going to do. The computer is going to see his 2021 season right now as a 331 Wobo, which is great. Like that's above league average. He has a 106 WRC plus. They're going to see that though, and they're probably going to project something similar next year because he's coming off a 2020 with a three uh, 336 Woba in a shortened COVID season. He's coming off 2021, 331 Woba. And he's had seasons years past to 2018 where he had a 321 Woba. Now sandwiched in between 2018 and 2020 was a Woba of 368 in 2019. And so that's going to be factored in as well. But the majority of Wilson's offense has been kind of in that like 330 to 340-ish range. His career will be 345. And so how does Zips, Steamers, Pagoda, all those projections see him for 2022? Well, they're going to look at his recent seasons. They're going to weight heavily his most recent season and then use some of these systems. They're going to use historical performances to try to project him in the future. And what's going to happen is he's going to come out with a projection around two to three wins. Uh, do you want your cleanup hitter to be projected as such? Do you want your uh, middle of the order to have to rely on a catcher regardless of his projection for his Woba? Just a catcher in general might not be the best idea. And uh, if they go into the season with Wilson as like their everyday cleanup hitter, fifth hitter, whatever you want to call it, you're leaving yourself open open to holes in that lineup due to injuries and uh, some of uh, the natural volatility that comes with being a, an offensive catcher. At least he's doing well in the month of September, despite some of these nagging injuries. We'll see how the next 10, uh, 10 days go. He did come off the bench for a pinch hit opportunity in the second game against the Twins. He grounded out, looked like he almost... Beat out an errant throw in the ninth inning. He was running well. That was encouraging. But we'll see what happens. Maybe Ross doesn't play him every single day in the next week and a half. Okay. Uh, that's the offense, guys. Uh, one last guy, though, before we move on to pitching. Rafael Ortega. Not having the best month of September. He has a 302 weighted on base average. He's batting 231. His walk and strikeout rates are fine, though. He's walking at an 8% clip, and he has a 22% strikeout rate. All of this in 75 played appearances on the season. The total season numbers for Ortega includes a 341 weighted on base average in 295 played appearances, a WRC plus of 112, and a war of 1.2. That is a quality half season for Rafael Ortega. Really, like truly is. With him, he demolishes right-handed fastball pitchers. And so this is where the conversation this is going to lead at some point in the offseason. Do you keep Ortega? Do you try to carve out a role for him? Not in a platoon way, but maybe just with other free agents that can also go around in the outfield or infield and the DH spot. And you can use Ortega in situations that suit his strengths, which is hitting right-hand fastballs. And a lot of these guys on, on the Cubs in the years past, that, that was their weakness. Like They just struggled against heavy, heavy, heavy right-handed fastballs. And you got they got thrown in on the hands nonstop because of it. We talked to Mike Bryant, Chris Bryant's father and hitting coach, and they were always anticipating those up-and-in fastballs. And so for their offseason work, they anticipated that and tried to counteract that, which they did successfully. Um, 
And he's doing that in San Francisco right now. So for Ortega to be able to do that and hit right-handed fastballs could be a plus for this team and might allow Jed to supplement the rest of the roster in other forms and then use those supplement players to match and complement what Ortega provides. So we'll see how that goes in the next week and a half. Most of these samples, they're pretty much carved out, right? Play discipline numbers, strikeout numbers. They stabilize around 50 do 100 plate appearances. Um, you know, the next week and a half is not going to provide that level of certainty because of the sample size. But you can still watch them. You can still, you can still see how pitchers are going to adapt. And you can still include what they do in the next few weeks in the context of what's been happening in the last two weeks and see how, if anything, changes in the next, what is it now, 30 to 40 plate appearances. All right. So that's the hitters. Now, pitchers, let's go over that in the month of September. We have some interesting pitching performances. So the one note I want to bring up is Abra Alzali. I want to lead off with Alzali. He has 12, well, after the second game, 14 innings of work. And none of which have been starting, all coming out of the bullpen. And I did not know this. I did not catch this as I've been watching Alzali. He has not walked one batter. In the bullpen, not one, zero batters, and he's striking out almost ten guys per nine innings when you scale it out. His home runner rate under one per nine innings. That's great. That's really great because he was getting destroyed by the home run ball, especially off of lefties as a starter. The intention for Tommy Hadivy was to put Alzali in the bullpen, change up the mindset, let him use pitches that he might otherwise not use as a starter. Because you're maxing out. Because you're only facing these guys once or twice. And for Alzali, what that's led to is an ERA in that small sample of under two. A fifth that matches his ERA around two. And the expected numbers match that as well. Again, only in 14 innings, small sample size. But still, not walking anyone, not giving up home runs. So, so far, that type of, if you want to call it an experiment, so be it. That experiment has worked for Alzali, and that should be encouraging for all of us as we head into this offseason. Rowan Wick, 10 innings, well, 11 innings now. You know, some of these numbers won't get updated by the time you hear this, but so far he has 10 innings. His strikeout rate, super high, 14 strikeouts per nine innings. Walk rate, super high, six walks per nine innings in the month of September. 10 inning pitches, uh, 10 innings pitched again. ERA. 6.1. FIP, though, because of those high strikeout numbers, uh, 2.09, giving up no home runs in this month, right? So that's the encouraging part about Wick as well. The command, the walks, not an appropriate sample size. When I watch Wick, I don't see as if he deserves a 6 walk per 9 rate. I, that does not seem right as, at all. Of course, over the longer sample size, that gets ironed out. That's That gets cleaned out. The whiffs, though, the strikeouts, that looks to be something that could be sustainable. When you have such an extreme number of whiffs and in that type of sample of 10 innings or whatever, that 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 is that is indicative. Just whiffs, not strikeouts, but whiffs on a singular pitch is extremely indicative of, of future success. So we'll see how that continues to adapt. Wick has used more cutters this year than what we've seen him use before 2020. He was working on a cutter going into 2020 before COVID hit in spring training. 
and we're seeing him use that pitch run 10% of the time now. That complements his spiker very nicely, as well as his four-seamer very nicely, and he's had success with it. Okay, Trevor McGill. He's interesting because his K per nine is over 12, and his walk per nine is about 1.3 in the month of September. Has pitched in seven games, and... Again, all these sample sizes are really small, but this is what we're working with. They're trying to figure out what to look for in this month and if at all we can use some of this information as we enter the offseason. So for McGill, his problem has been home runs, man. He's serving up home runs like crazy. So his uh, ERA in the month of uh, September is almost seven as a result of giving up too many home runs. His home run per nine rate is almost two. Too high, can't happen. Got to figure out some way to attenuate those home runs and if you can do so while keeping up this level of whiffs and this uh low rate of walks then you have a a decent reliever you know middle of the order reliever perhaps in, in 2022 cody hoyer weird september so far love the guy tommy oddity's worked with him a lot on incorporating this new type of fastball grip, a hybrid between a four-seam and a two-seam. Very interesting stuff. Want to learn more about that in the offseason. He's having a weird September because his K per nine, again, this is only 10 innings, so again, small sample. Keep saying that. Just want to emphasize it. Uh, K per nine, under seven. Walk per nine, almost four. Kind of weird. Shouldn't be like that, given his stuff. But his his ERA is still 1.6. So getting outs getting weak contact, it passes the eye test, his pitches look great, that walk rate, that strikeout rate, not representative of who he is. Okay, going down the list here, uh, Manny Rodriguez. We got to talk about Manny Rodriguez. The guy pumps 100 mile per hour heat, and he looked really impressive when he first came up with the Cubs. He was their closer, he was getting whiffs, he's handling the pressure. Like, oh my God, we have like maybe a future closer on our hands. And that could still very well end up being the case. In the month of September, though, it's only gotten four innings of work, whereas Hoyer has gotten 10 innings of work. Wick has gotten more than that as well. So for some reason, he's not being used as much as the other guys. This could be a way of protecting him because this is his first big league stint. You know, he's going through the minors. He's had some weird ramp-up periods. He's had the whole COVID thing. There's a wide variety of potential explanations to why he's not, you know, pitching that much. So his ERA in in these four innings, uh, 18, very high. And uh, the walks are a problem. Um, Way, way, too, way too many walks, man. He has uh, a walk per nine in that small sample. If you want to scale it up, it's sixteen uh, per nine innings. Just you know, he's almost walking two guys per inning. It's just can't can't happen for Manny. Hopefully that uh, irons out here in the next week and a half. You want to see the velocity get in the upper nineties to make Manny look better. The everything look look better for for Manny. Now we uh, we do have other guys in the bullpen that have been pitching for the Cubs. Likely not part of 2022. You're looking at Rex Brothers. Goodbye. Don't want to see you anymore. I don't even know why you're still on this team, but he's been pitching. Uh, they just DFA Dylan Maples. Um, 
this, that was no, that was a weird experiment for several years. I, I liked Dylan Maples a lot. I, you know, I, I, the, the work ethic to get to the point where you're in the conversation of having one of the nastiest sliders cutters in the league is really impressive. And because of those reasons, I know a lot of us, I know Corey, I know myself, I know Evan Allman, I know everyone was really interested in what he could end up being out of the bullpen for the Cubs. It has not materialized. He is DFA'd. He has been cleared through waivers. He can go to the minors, but he's going to be a free agent in this offseason. Now, do the Cubs want to give him a minor league deal and see if they can continue to work with him in the offseason? Okay, maybe, right? But, you know, don't count on him being an everyday guy out of the bullpen for the Cubs for 2022. Um, it's taken a long time, and baseball's stupid. Guys come out of nowhere. They find something that finally clicks for them like a Frank Schwindel, like a Patrick Wisdom, and, and maybe Maples eventually will end up being one of those guys. All right, Tommy Nance is back with the Cubs. Uh, Nance is another weird story. Oh, man, like when he first came up, I was so stoked about him because his curveball spin rate was like insane. It was the, the best curveball spin rate to velocity ratio in Major League Baseball. No one was throwing those pitches. And then something happened to Tommy Nance. I don't know what it was. You can talk about, oh, the spider attack. Maybe it was spider attack. I have no idea. But his spin rate just precipitously dropped, like from 30, you know, mid 3,000 RPMs down to like sub 3,000, you know, like 2,800. I don't know what what happened there. Could have been injury. You know, he didn't pitch much after uh, being removed from the major league roster. You have no idea what's going on with them. So I don't want to assume anything, but he is back with the Cubs. And I think one area to look for with him is that spin rate. Go to Baseball Savant. Go to the actual box scores. Go Do it in a live game scenario if you want. And you can see pitch by pitch what his spin rate is looking at. So let's see what that looks like in the next week and a half here. Maybe it goes back up to those like, you know, what was it, June? Was it June that he was doing so well? I don't even know anymore. It's like two different seasons. But let's see how that looks, and let's compare that to you know before his demotion, before the spider attack stuff, like all of that. And maybe his spin rate ends up going back up to uh, being in that top tier level. Okay, that's the pitchers, that's the hitters. Um, let's preview this upcoming set against the St. Louis Cardinals. So, um, Cardinals have won 11 in a row. I mean, I I am at a loss for words. They somehow do this way too often. And uh, John Lester, thank God Corey's not doing this episode. I don't know if he can even handle this right now. But, I mean, John Lester just had his 200th win. He's hugging Yachty Molina. He's giving Yachty praise in post-game conferences. Um, Yeah, fun times there. So the Cardinals right now are running away with the wild card. They're 82-69. and 69. And we have four games against the Cubs. Um, we do have a doubleheader on Friday. First game there starts at 1.20 p.m. And then the second game is going to start scheduled for, what is this, 7.05 p.m. In the first game, you have Flaherty out for the Cardinals. He's having a good year, 9-2, a 3.08 ERA. We have... Ugh, uh, Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs. Davies, man, what a what a what a disappointment. Six and eleven, a five point four nine ERA. Like, no offense to the guy, I'm sure he's nice and everything. I hate doing that, by the way. I hate like 
bashing on these players and their performances. It's like, it's like they're trying their hardest. It just kind of happens. Um, but he's not good, and I don't like Washington pitch. So that's kind of where we are. Um, that's the second game, actually. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna go back to edit this. You guys can figure it out. That's the second game. In the first game, we actually have. Justin Steele pitching for the Cubs, and he's facing J.A. Happ. Uh, the Cardinals are going out and just getting these veteran lefties, apparently. So I just looked at the picture of J.A. Happ. I did not recognize him. Uh, it looked like he aged 50,000 years since the last time I looked at him. Um, all gray beard hair. So, yeah, I guess J.A. Happ still pitches, and he's on the Cardinals. And he has a crazy line this year. He's pitched a lot. He has a 9-8 and record, a 6.02 ERA. Steele, you know the story about Steele. We've covered it pretty exhaustively at this point. He's uh, been flip-flopping between a four-seam, a sinker, some games. He's leading with that two-seamer sinker, throwing it as his primary fastball. Other games, he's using a four-seam and leading with that, throwing a four-seam 50% of the time and using his slider as his main secondary pitch around 20 to 30% of the time. And then every now and then, Mixing in a changeup and a curveball. There have been games recently, though, where he's throwing more curveballs instead of sliders. And now is his bread and butter pitch. The slider's a new pitch. We had Greg Huss of the Growing Cubs podcast on. He talked to Justin Steele, and he told him that his brother actually like helped him with that grip, and he developed that slider down in the alternative site during the COVID season. So that slider's new, and I don't know if that's going to be his primary pitch as a starter because he has flip-flopped with his curveball recently. So let's keep monitoring that as the next few outings go. Uh, Personally, when I watch him pitch, I kind of like when he leads with the sinker. I've been biased for the sinker two-seamer just because it appears as if every single Cubs young pitcher and even like veteran pitchers recently, they've been, they've been using these two-seamers and these sinkers. Uh, they're being thrown up in a zone like crazy. And that's solely has to be because of the pitching infrastructure. Kyle Hendricks is a good example. Alec Mills. I mean, Braylon Marquez, when he came up last year, developed a sinker. Uh, they even had Zach Davies try to throw an elevated sinker. That did not work for him. So it's not like a perfect strategy. But you can definitely see the Cubs are intending to be a different type of team and to use that type of pitch differently than than other pitchers uh, across the league. All right, so those are the first two games on Friday. On Saturday, we have a 1.20 p.m. start time. We have, uh, ugh, ugh, ugh. We have John Lester on the mound for... Not the Cubs for the Cardinals. John Lester on the year seven and six, a five point or four point five nine ERA. He'll be facing Adrian Sampson for the Cubs. Sampson on the year one and two, two point eight four ERA. Lester, oh man, that sucks to see. Um, uh, yeah, facing the Cubs in the Cardinals uniform. That's all I'm going to say. On Sunday we have. Keegan Thompson starting for the Cubs. Keegan Thompson just came back from shoulder fatigue, whatever it was, whatever you want to think about that. It was a very short stint on the IEL. He threw two innings last outing, threw 40 pitches. The pitch count has been an issue for him uh, ever since he came out of the bull, uh, out of the rotation, not getting the whiffs. Command has been really shaky for him. I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, probably a disappointment at this point, how he's performed out of the rotation. Still should be getting some chances, though, in, in 2022 as a depth piece. And I'm sure his role is likely, I don't even know if I say if I want to say likely, but it seems as if it's going to be destined for um, 
in the bullpen. And then maybe get stretched out, go multiple innings, kind of what we saw this year. And something might click. Tommy Ottavi, Craig Breslow, Craig Jacobson, all those guys in the pitching infrastructure, they end up may finding something that helps Thompson click. And so for the next few outings for him, just look for command. The command has been an issue. His cutter has 150% more movement than an average cutter. It's, it's, it's a top-notch bitch. All right, so that's a complete breakdown of what's going on in the month of September and leading you into what to watch for the next week and a half here. A lot of these sample sizes are not going to be stable in the next few weeks, but when you look at the full approach in September, as we just did, you know what we're looking for. You know we're looking for Patrick Wisdom and hitting high fastballs. You know we're looking for Frank Schwindel and that contact rate. Can he hit breaking pitches? We know we're looking at... Rafi Ortega's ability to hit guys who are not principally fastball right-handers. We know all of this. Did not talk about Nico Horner this episode, but you want the guy to, to look good in the next week and a half, even though the sample's not stable. For the pitching, we got the whole entire picture for Alice Eli. Zero walks, looking great out of the bullpen, strikeouts, no home runs. He had a clutch high leverage performance against the Twins in the second game. He's looking good. That experiment's working. Let's look at Cody Hoyer. Maybe the whips will start to increase the command and the walk rate will start to de- uh, improve. And I think his overall numbers, uh, it's not really being fairly represented by a strikeout and walk rate, just visually looking at him. ERA, of course, is 1.6 in the month of September. He looks better than that. So Corey and I will be back with you guys this Sunday to go over this four-game set against the Cardinals. It'd be pretty fun if the Cubs can just like go out there and put a huge damper on the Cardinals' uh, high optimism right now. Again, they won 11 in a row. Let's, let's stop that. Let's make them miserable as much as we can. Let's hope that teams chasing them get it together. Don't want to see the Cardinals in the playoffs. If they are in the playoffs, screw them. They're not going to go that far. If they do go that far... Screw me. That would suck. But let's just halt their winning streak this upcoming series. All right. So, as always, thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google. Does Amazon even have podcasts now? They probably do, but I'm sure we're on there as well. Wherever you normally find podcasts, we're going to be there. If for some reason we're not there, uh, you can send a, a DM to either Corey and I. I'm at Cubs Related on Twitter. He's at CF Cubs Related on Twitter. If you do feel inclined, please go and give a five-star review of this podcast on Apple. What that does is it kind of like tells the algorithm to, hey, Put Cubs related on the Chicago Cubs podcast search when you just get more reviews. So that's that's the reason why that helps us out. So if you can go do that, you know, leave a nice comment too. That would be really helpful. It just lets us get seen and uh, you know find fans and make it more fun for everyone involved. All right, we'll be back on Sunday as always. Go Cubs.